Welcome to Style with Substance, a podcast by The Vendeur. I'm your host, Lucy Kebble. plus a few bonus episodes, we'll be talking about the myths and greenwashing that surround sustainable fashion. Join us for discussion with industry insiders, tips and generally geeking out on the glory that is ethical fashion. Hi and welcome back. How are you? Thanks for joining me again. This September is Organic September, where we celebrate and draw attention to organic farming throughout the world. Organic processes play a huge part in reducing the effects of climate change and ensure that the fibres and the food that we grow have as little impact on the environment as possible. To find out more, I reached out to Sarah Compson. Sarah works for the Soil Association as an organic textile expert and basically knows everything there is to know about organic fashion. We primarily talk about cotton, because cotton makes up 25% of all fibres worldwide. However, just 1% of cotton output is certified organic. The rest is grown using GMO seeds, copious amounts of highly toxic pesticides, as well as even bigger amounts of water. You may have heard of the disappearance of the Aral Sea. Yes, the world's fourth biggest lake has all but disappeared thanks to our over-irrigation of agricultural land in Uzbekistan. The majority of this land is used to grow cotton. So there's an urgent need to address our reliance on regular cotton. In this episode, we discuss the percentage of cotton that should be organic in order to call a product organic. Spoiler alert, it's worryingly small. Sarah explains why soil health is crucial to our planet's survival and the crucial role that carbon sinks play in reversing climate change. Although 2% of all cropland is used globally for cotton, Some studies claim that 16% of all pesticides sold are just used for cotton. Many of them are highly toxic and classified as hazardous by the World Health Organization. So cotton farmers and people, animals and vegetation living in the surrounding land are at risk of serious health problems. They kill an estimated 16,000 people each year. We also talk about organic wool and silk and why you should use organic tampons if you can. Content warning, it gets a little bit sciencey, but you probably already know by now that I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to fabrics, so I hope you don't mind indulging me. Don't forget to subscribe if you aren't already and leave us a review. We love to hear what you think. I highly advise you arm yourself with a cup of tea for this one. Here is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm very happy to be speaking to you. Oh, fab. So do you want to start by just telling us a little bit more about yourself? Because um, you're you're working with the Soil Association. Yeah, that's right. So we are a charity that campaigns on a range of issues to do with um, organic food and farming and sustainable land use and healthy diets. And um, the area of um, my work that I specialise in is around organic textiles. 
So, and that obviously that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I started off mainly looking at the standard side of things. So the rules around what makes something organic and how we can in- ensure integrity of a product that's meeting high environmental and social standards. But I'm also involved in our policy and campaigning work. So really to make people aware of the um, issues around textiles and what they can do to contribute to um, better outcomes. Well, let's start with something really simple, because I know that I tend to get this bit wrong. We were speaking about this earlier because I got a bit confused with what fabrics can actually be organic. Can you tell us a little bit more about, I know that you mostly work with cotton, but there are a lot of other fabrics that can be classed as organic. Yep. So any fibre that starts life on a farm can, in theory, be produced organically. But as you said, by far the most common natural fibre is cotton. Um, It makes up, I think, uh, about a quarter of all fibres worldwide is cotton. But there's also other natural fibres like hemp and linen, um, which comes from flax. And then you've got animal fibres like wool and silk, and all of those can be produced organically. And I suppose in a nutshell, or the organic method, the way it is, it's all about the way of farming. And it's a word that's used to describe a system of farming that works with the systems and cycles of nature and relies on natural processes to boost soil fertility and control pests and diseases. So it's, um, it's like a holistic and systemic or you could describe it as a regenerative approach in contrast to the more conventional approach to agriculture, which tends to be more input focused. So relying on artificial fertilizers and pesticides to boost crop yields and to protect crops. So, And we have called the Soil Association because everything starts with the soil. So if you have there's this idea that if you have healthy soil, you grow healthy plants which leads to healthy animals and healthy people and whilst lots of people think about soil as being this kind of dead inert thing as the substance is actually the opposite it's the foundation of all life on earth so looking after the soil is really vital Um, it has direct benefits leading to the healthy plants and the healthy animals and healthy people but also lots of indirect ones which I'm sure we'll go on to later um, linked to supporting ecosystems beyond just the actual crops being farmed or grown. And then also it has a role in storing carbon, which has an impact on climate change. In terms of the word organic, there's a small complication in the fact that in the EU, including the UK, um, if you want to call a food item organic, it has to be certified under, uh, it has to meet certain standards. And lots of farmers go above and beyond those standards, but it has to meet a baseline law in order for a product to be described as organic. But that doesn't apply to health and beauty products and it doesn't apply to textile products. So you can buy a, say, an organic T-shirt, which won't necessarily contain organic fibre or um, it's only, it might only contain a tiny proportion of organic fibre. Now, lots of, lots of companies will, will be putting organic, genuine organic fibre into their garments, but certainly not all of them. And they don't legally have to. We and others um, developed rules around that so that there could be these voluntary standards that if um, companies want to be able to assure their customers that what they're buying is genuinely organic, they have this. They have the symbol or certification which demonstrates that. And the ones that you're probably most likely to see in the UK 
uh, the global organic textile standard that makes sure that the fiber produced is comes from organic farms but that also it's processed in a factory to high environmental and social standards and then the other one is the organic content standard um, now that just makes sure that the fiber in the garment or, the, or whatever the textile item is come came from an organic farm so it doesn't cover what happens in the processing but it does make sure that fiber is genuinely organic so it's really good to look out for those two symbols if you want a guarantee that something is genuinely organic. So could you tell us a little bit more about percentages? Because when I was doing some reading, I was a bit confused to find out that you can, like, as you were saying, you can say something is organic, but it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% organic cotton. It could have been mixed with other things. So is there a minimum percentage of cotton, of organic cotton that needs to be in something before someone can call it organic? Or do we again have to look to a certification to be sure of what we're buying? So I believe that under just the general law, um, it would need to meet the Trades Description Acts. So I think, uh, in this is in the UK, so um, I think it would have to contain 1% organic as a minimum. There has to be some organic component. Um, but it's 1% a tra- though. I, I think so, yeah. It's a trading standards issue. So it would be mm. about, uh, it would be up to trading standards to determine whether or not the claim that the product was making would be misleading. But my understanding of the law is that the the minimum could be 1%. So when you're looking for um, a certificate, when you've got a certified product, um, it will say what that percentage is. So if it's 95% and above, it will just say it's organic. So for GOTS, it has to contain at least 70% organic fibres in order to have an organic claim on the product. And then the remaining percentage can't just be any old other fibre. It comes from a restricted list that are included in the global organic textile standard. So you could read what those things are. So for example, you couldn't have a GOT certified organic t-shirt that was made of 70% organic and 30% conventional cotton. You can't mix the organic and the non-organic cotton into the same garment, but it might be made up of other materials that um, are listed in the standard. So, but those are heavily restricted because it's really just a a way to try and help stimulate the market and recognise the fact that there is a limited um, but increasing supply of organic fibres out there at the moment. So how, how much organic cotton is there in the world or, or sorry let me rephrase that question what percentage of cotton that's currently grown globally is actually organic well the truth is it's it's a very low percentage at the moment so in terms of all cotton it only equates for about one percent of the cotton available worldwide but it's increasing rapidly so recent figures for the um, 2018-2019 season shows that there was a 31% increase in organic cotton grown. And it also is important to note that organic is kind of the leading edge of sustainable production. And it's having an influence on lots of other schemes and lots of other ways of producing cotton. So we are part of the Sustainable Cotton Challenge 2025, which is urging brands to source 100% sustainable cotton by 2025. Partly due to that that challenge, now about 22% of all the cotton grown worldwide is being produced to more 
with more sustainable practices. Um, now, just a small portion of that is organic, but a lot of the brands and retailers involved in that challenge have very ambitious targets around organic cotton. So we would expect to see a big increase in organic. Okay, well, that's good news. However, I'm quite surprised to hear that it's only 1%. I think a lot of other people would be quite surprised to hear that too. Yeah, um, I think just on that, I think it's important to not discount it because it's such a small amount, because um, it does have an influence on other practices. You know, this is about the, the amount of certified organic cotton that's available in the world. There's lots of um, other farmers who are um, using organic practices or regenerative practices that um, are looking more and more like they're organic or moving towards organic. So this is about the amount of certified cotton that's available. OK, right. So so what are regenerative practices? then so um that's really a phrase that um really captures this idea that that organic practices don't just diminish impacts they actually have a beneficial effect so it's often used particularly in relation to soil health so in organic farming rather than using um artificial fertilizers to um, provide fertility for the crops you you focus on building the soil, building the health of the soil first and foremost. So you'd, you'd use practices like composting and green manures and animal manure to um, naturally boost the health of the soil. And that has multiple benefits. Not only does it mean that there's a sustainable supply of fertility for the crops, but it also does things like make the soil better at holding water and very importantly, better at storing carbon. So people often think about um, carbon being the thing that's in the air, but um, two thirds of the carbon on earth is actually stored in our soils. So, you know, they're a very important carbon sink and it's really important that we look after our soils because that's going to be absolutely vital in the fight against climate change. That's where I've heard the term carbon sink used before. Um, and I think it's quite interesting to think that you can regenerate a soil to the point where even though you're growing something, you're also helping to to take carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah, and I think that's really the future of um, farming practices has to be um, taking this regenerative approach into account because we cannot afford to keep with a, a very extractive approach to farming. You know, we we like that. There's a time limit on that because if you just take without putting anything back in, you know, it just stands to reason that can't go on forever. So, you know, truly st sustainable practices need to be giving something back. And um, the term regenerative is being used a lot more these days. And um, organic farming is a is like a best in class example of regenerative practices in action. So can you tell us a bit more about organic cotton farming? Because I think sometimes I, I get a little bit swayed when I go into the shops and I'm looking at things and I see something that says 100% cotton. And for some reason in my mind, I think, oh, that's really good. That's 100% natural. I used to get quite confused between 100% cotton and organic cotton. So what are the differences in the practices then um, with how cotton is is grown as opposed to organic because we hear a lot as well that water usage is is a big big problem with growing cotton it's a very thirsty crop um, and it requires a lot of pesticides so so how does that work so yeah in terms of the claims it, it, I could totally relate to that it can be really confusing when you're seeing a hundred percent of something so when it's when it just says it's a hundred percent or cotton sorry when it says it's a hundred percent cotton 
that's just a claim about the material content of the garment. That's uh, that it's made of cotton, uh, but it's not really saying anything about the production method. So when it says it's 100% organic cotton, it's referring to the way that it's been grown. And the differences between organic and non-organic cotton in environmental and social terms can be like night and day. So at its worst, cotton can consume vast amounts of water, as you said, and also need highly hazardous toxic pesticides to manage pests and disease. But at its best, it can regenerate the soil, it can help farmers feed their families, and it can use water really efficiently. Um, and organic farmers are really pioneers when it comes to cotton farming that's better for people and planet. So just a bit more about some of the the problems. I know it's never nice to dwell on the um, dark side of things, but it's important to, to, um, to know some of the background. So cotton is grown around the world in 64 countries and covers about 33 million hectares, which is 2% of all cropland in the world is just for cotton. Wow. Um, but it, ha- it uses a disproportionate amount of insecticides. So it's really hard to estimate figures, but some studies say that it's about 16% of all insecticides sold are used just on cotton. And these include some of the most toxic pesticides um, that you can get, many of which are classified as hazardous by the WHO. And um, they're responsible for poisoning wildlife and rivers, as well as um, pesticides overall are estimated to kill 16,000 people each year. Yeah, and I've I've heard stories that it, this isn't even happening very far away. There's a lot of cotton farming in the US and... There are reports that cotton farmers and their families and people in surrounding areas that obviously have access to the same water are, they're getting ill. They have really serious health concerns. Um, and it's its so scary to think that for years we've been using these pesticides and fertilizers, being told that, you know, they're safe, they're, they're there to grow your crops for you, but they're actually slowly killing people. Yeah, I mean, we live in interconnected systems. You know, you can't isolate these things, and no amount of PPE is going to stop the um, stop pesticides getting into waterways and having an impact further downstream. And so that's really why um, finding ways to farm that don't require on these don't require these toxic hazardous pesticides is really vital and it's um, organic farmers show that it's possible um you mentioned something about water so yes water cotton is very well known as a thirsty crop i mean i'm sure you've seen the classic case study of the aral sea drying up and a lot of that is linked to um, irrigation of cotton fields yeah now most organic cotton is grown in places that don't require irrigation it's rain fed and so part of that is about choosing the right place to grow cotton and that's changing quite rapidly with the changing climate you know there's some parts of the world like some parts of Australia which have traditionally grown cotton which are now becoming almost impossible to do so because of the availability of water. Now organic soils because Again, coming all coming back to the soil, because soil health is so important and building healthy soils is so important to an organic system, that has an effect of not only being uh, making soils really good at storing carbon, but also really good at storing water. If you so, sort of imagine a soil that's um, really full of organic matter, it's like a really nice, uh, deep brown soil. Um, now that 
that can act like a sponge. So that means that it's really good at holding water for t- in times of drought and flood. So you want a soil that can hold um, a good amount of water because if you have a heavy rain, you don't want the rain to just wash all the nutrients out. Not only because it washes it out of the soil and makes, means it's, they're not available to the plant, but also that nu- those nutrients are then washed into waterways and that can create problems downstream as well as washing away um, potential pesticides um, and other and fertilizers yeah and then in times of drought if you've got this uh, sponge-like soil it, it retains the water really well so that plants have that water available in times of drought and it's also um, when it comes to textiles it's not just about what happens on the farm Twenty um, percent of all global water pollution results from the dyeing and finishing of textiles, and so that's why we think that um, the global organic textile standard, the GOT standard, is really important because that sets really strong limits on what dyes and inks can be used in the factory in in the um, manufacturing and processing of textile products, and it also um, has really strict requirements on toxicity and biodegradability and make sure that water is treated properly before it's released into rivers. And bearing in mind that a lot of textile manufacturing happens in countries where people don't have the same level of protection as um, we enjoy in Europe. Can I then ask you about other organic fabrics? Sure. You mentioned earlier that there are other fabrics um, that can also be organic wool and silk for example I think are quite big ones so can you tell us a little bit more about what makes wool or silk organic? Sure so again it all comes down to the production system so it's about what farming system um, is used in the production of that fibre. So wool is a, a really good example because it's very relevant to the UK you know obviously we have quite a lot of sheep in the UK. Now with organic um, with organic standards organic requirements Um, It's about natural systems and cycles, and that comes down to how the land is managed, but also um, how the sheep are managed themselves. So uh, there's a huge focus in organic on animal welfare. It's a really big part of um, organic requirements. So when it comes to sheep, they are ruminants, so they graze on grass and other things. And in the wild, they'd graze an area, then move on to another area. Um, now, organic farming practice, um, organic farmers practice rotational grazing, and that means that sheep are moved to fresh pastures on a regular basis rather than being kept in the same field. Now, that's um, good because that kind of mimics what would happen in the wild, but it also has other benefits. Um, sheep are really susceptible to parasites, so things like intestinal worms. Now, an important part of a parasite's life cycle takes place in the soil. So if sheep are moved on to a new pasture, you're less likely to get a build-up of parasites to problematic levels, which would then require the sheep to have um, treatment for those parasites. And that's important because the treatments can also be bad for other soil life, um, you know, the non-target soil life, um, and that can really inhibit soil function. And um, as we know, healthy soils are fundamental to uh, a healthy planet overall. Just a bit more geekery about uh, what happens in um, organic sheep farming. Organic farmers often grow herbal lays. Now that means that they um, grow a good mixture of different grasses and herb species in their fields. So things like clover and chicory. And not only does that better mimic the sort of natural diet that a sheep would get in the wild, but it's also great for biodiversity, insects like bees. And um, 
some of the species that are in that herbal lay mix will have um, health benefits to the sheep. And a good example of this is chicory, and that, that contains tannins, which acts as a natural dewormer. So that's a, that's a good way of um, helping to keep those, those parasitic numbers down in the sheep too. And sorry to interrupt, can that's I also right. ask about um, fly strike as well? Because I've heard that, for anyone who doesn't know, mulesing is a, is a technique that some uh, sheep farmers use where they remove some of the skin from around the um, back part of the sheep that might normally get fly strike which can be really really horrible for a sheep um, but obviously mulesing is a really cruel practice and, and doesn't necessarily have to be done so I know that I look out for wool products that have um, that have a non-mulesing is that something that's also included in organic wool farming? Yeah, so that's strictly forbidden in organic so that's definitely another aspect of the welfare facet of organic standards so things like tail docking and castration are only allowed if they're strictly necessary and they must only be administered with suitable pain relief and musing is never allowed uh, and in fact it's not allowed in the eu at all and oh, also okay, that's in, good. in places like um, new zealand they've banned it it's still allowed in australia and the reason um, they use it there is because sheep farming can be on huge areas of land so the farmers might not see their sheep for months um, mm. and so it's really hard to be able to give the sheep the argument goes that well we need to be able to make sure that our sheep don't get fly strike because it's a horrible thing to happen and it's very it's worse for the sheep to get that but there are different things you can do there's different approaches you can take that require a less drastic and painful um, approach and even things like there's um, breeding programs where you can actually breed the hairiness around the back end out of the sheep so that it, it's less of a problem. So naturally, they just don't really have very hairy rear ends, which means you're far less likely to get fly strike. Yeah, welfare in those terms is also very important in organic. Amazing. That's really good to know um, because I think sometimes it's a bit confusing what different standards are going to be included. Sorry, I'm just going to say on that, I think I do this as a, as a consumer as well. If I want to buy something Merino, I often... If the company doesn't say anything on their website about their their stance on musing, I write to them and I say, what's your stance on musing? Is it prohibited in your supply chains? And I think that's quite a strong action that we can take as uh, consumers, because the more that that happens, the more brands know that that's on the agenda of their customers, the more likely they are to take action. And that's yeah, what that's I, a great idea. I mean, I hear that from being on the other side as well. I hear that from the industry Um um, brands are keen to respond to the needs and wishes of their customers. So it's actually quite a powerful thing to do. Can we talk a little bit more about what the positive elements of wearing organic are? So we know what they are on the planet, but why is wearing organic better for us? So there's a few different ways to look at this. There will be a personal benefit if you're buying GOT certified products because of the fact that um, dyes and inks are heavily restricted and you um, don't get that um, you know like on children's clothes sometimes you can get those plasticky kind of pictures now those plasticky components often have some of the worst chemicals in and Greenpeace did a report in 2014 as part of their detox campaign and they found a really worrying array of harmful chemicals in children's clothes and a lot of that was linked to these um, kind of plasticky motifs so that's something to look out for 
I um, had always wondered whenever I picked those things up and I thought, God, I, I, what is that made of? That just, it doesn't seem right on fabric that's going to be on your skin. So, okay, I'm glad that you've said that then because I'm definitely going to avoid anything now that has those on. Yeah, some of it can be quite nasty. I mean, not always, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely one I would recommend avoiding. And mm. then uh, things like personal care products. So um, think of things like tampons. So conventional tampons can contain bleaching agents and also a kind of a plastic um, veil um, that line conventional tampons and they um, melt inside the vagina. So uh, that's not allowed in GOT certified organic personal care. Uh, That's quite a good reason to choose organic um, for personal care products. But I suppose the main positive benefit to um, wearing organic it's not um, a direct health benefit but it is the fact that you know that you're not trashing the planet or compromising the health and livelihoods of people on the other side of the world you know we live on an interconnected planet and if nothing else covid's taught us this Um, it also means we have interconnected responsibility and our choices on the high street are having a serious and lasting impact on people far away places and on the planet more broadly so it's really important that we use our consumer power to make choices that better fit our values. Definitely. I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I think this has been, uh, it's been a highly geeky episode, but <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. And I hope everyone else has too. Thank you so much for coming and speaking to me today. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. As you could tell, I was on the edge of my seat for most of that conversation. There were some pretty scary facts in there. However, there were also some exciting stories of improvement. I'm glad I know about organic tampons now too. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest discussing the ins and outs of sustainable fashion and busting a few myths too. Hope to see you then. Bye-bye.